Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Um, man, I'm just, I just love Sundays. I love getting to be here. I love uh, worshiping with you. That's, to me, that's, that's like my favorite time. I'm like, I, got, I was just talking to Hector here in the second row. Hector, me and Hector, we got to be in the front row. We, we, we got to get it before anybody else gets it. I like that. So he told me, he said, I want to get it. I want to get the worship. I want to get the word before anybody else behind him can get it. And so I just love this. And, and if you're joining us today, we're in a, a, a two, a second week of a series we're doing. And you know, what if I told you that there were words in here, that there was a passage in this book that would change everything about you if you applied it. Amen. There would be a passage that would teach all of humanity how to uh, live in such a way that is dedicated to and pleasing to God. It would teach us to rid ourselves of all hypocrisy. It would teach us to love our neighbor and show grace and show mercy. It would teach us to lay down our life for somebody else. This would be the greatest sermon that was ever preached, recorded here in the scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you missed last week, we were in a, we, we talked about the Beatitudes. My dad did a great job of explaining the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes isn't found necessarily in scripture. It's just a, a Latin translation of the word blessed. And Jesus talks about eight of these Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness and who are persecuted. And he goes on from that talking about the attitudes that we are to live by as believers. There are, there are attitudes that we have to follow. There are attitudes that would set us apart. So this was radical thinking for, for so many. This, this, changed, this changed everything. Understanding those would change everything about all that we do. And Jesus is like, it's here. It's here. This, this, would, be, this would be our pursuit of abandoning wickedness and pursuing righteousness. And then he goes on to say in Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus writes, you are the salt of the earth. Turn to the person next to you and tell him, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. But he also says in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Turn to the other person that you decided not to tell first time because you don't care for them. <laughs> tell them you are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, somebody say the same way. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. He starts off this greatest sermon he says here's how you are to be here's what you're supposed to do to be blessed and then he goes on to say here's your purpose here's who you are here's who you are I think sometimes we may have forgotten who we are and we got to go back to this to be reminded of who we are you are salt you are light you are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden you are to be seen not you but the God in you and so in a world full of sin full of self-gratification I wonder if um, if we applied something in this passage, would things begin to change? Would we not be shaped by society, but would we begin to shape society by everything we do, everywhere we go, every day of our lives? 
So I've titled this message, I've got two titles for this message. The first one is The Battle Within. The Battle Within. There is a battle within us. Yes, there is a battle around us, but Jesus is now redirecting our focus to the battle within us. But I've also titled this message, and this will, this will make sense as we go along. It may not make sense at this moment, but I've also titled this message maybe a second message. It's not a subtitle. It's like this, the cooler message title would be, uh, Be Salt, Not Salty. Be Salt, Not Salty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And God, would your word, as we open it up, as we read it, would it change us? Would it challenge us? Would it impact us? Lord, it's a, it's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. We love this thing. We love your words. Sharper than any double-edged sword. And God, in the middle of brokenness and pain and confusion and uncertainty that we face, God, would your word be truth? Would it be clear? I pray for clarity today. I pray for clarity this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said in one loud voice, amen, amen, amen. You know, I was, in a, I was on a bus in eighth grade. This was a long time ago which is crazy to say because I'm about to be 30 next month. So uh, uh, pray for me, please. Um, and if you're interested in what I want for my birthday, just let me know. I won't tell you up here, but uh, I'll be 30. So uh, like I said, pray for me. Um, but eighth grade, long ago, and um, I was on a bus, and we were in Bradenton, Florida. I couldn't tell you what Bradenton, Florida was or had, but I knew they had these massive uh, a green, like, like uh, what are those grasshopper things? Huge, crazy. They were from a different planet. But I do remember visiting a local spot there that had some big ratings on Yelp called McDonald's. And, uh, you know, I got my same order that I always get, double cheeseburger, no pickle, with fries. And I get into the bus, and, and I'm just a sucker for salt. I love salt. And I take my salt packets now that we're on the bus, and I open up my hamburger, and I dump the salt in my hamburger. I don't know. I'm weird like that. And then I take the salt, and I, and I dump the salt on the, the fries, and I'm just like, everything about me um, is going to be salt. I just... And, and I want to tell you something that might gross you. I probably shouldn't tell you, but I should tell you um, because, you know, whatever. This is, I'm in eighth grade. Don't judge me. Um, I, I, would, I felt like the salt would stick better if the fries were a little bit damp or, or wet. So uh, I know this is horrible. I shouldn't even say this. But I would, I would, I would, I would spit. <laughs> oh, forgive me, Lord. I don't know. I just... I was in eighth grade. My mom didn't teach me any better, you know, and I would just cover it in salt. I mean, I took my first bite of that hamburger and realized I had just dumped an entire packet of sugar on my uh, McDonald's meal. Man, salt is great. Sugar is great. But if applied in the wrong area, it's just awful. But do I got any salt lovers out there? Man, we just love salt. Put it on our corn in the cob, on our potatoes, on our watermelon, on our, you know, you know, it's just, that's weird. But some people do that, I, I hear. Um, I'm just, I just love salt. Jesus says, you Come on, somebody say, I. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The salt, it's interesting because salt has uh, two purposes. One was for uh, preserving the food, especially in days where there was no refrigeration. And second, it was to enhance the flavor. And everybody said, amen. amen. And for believers, we are too in the same way to preserve the world that which we are in from the evil that lies within. And we are to also enhance the flavor, not of the food, but of the life around us. As salt has a positive influence, we are to also have a positive influence. But Jesus goes on to also say that you are light of the world. In a darkness, even the, the smallest glimpse of light cannot be mistaken. And what happens with the smallest glimpse of light, it begins to change the darkness within, and it begins to attract the darkness around. Eventually, the darkness around will see and perhaps 
will believe. But I got to be honest because, you know, this, this radical thinking, um, this, this radical ideology that now Jesus presents to us will be impossible if you are not confident in who you are and confident in who you believe in. Because the difference between us and the world is that we make decisions based not on our emotions, but on the spirit that is within us, right? And so if I begin to live a life that is emotion-led, emotion-driven, then the, the, the decisions that I make, the choices that I make, might not be so different than what the world makes. And therefore, because my decisions might be challenging to differentiate between what's Christ-like and what's world-like, I find myself no longer being salt and light. I have compromised. I've compromised my walk. I've compromised my commitment to the faith. I love what A.W. Tozer said. One compromise here and another there, and soon enough, the so-called Christian and the man in the world look the same. Write this down if you're taking notes. The comfortable Christian will be the compromising Christian. I just wonder how, how many of us have compromised due to the lack of comfort, due to the, the small sense now of persecution. We have changed everything that we do and everything that we believe, and certainly our actions are different because uh, it's uncomfortable for us. Um, in, in my small group, which we met this, this past Tuesday, come on, somebody excited for small groups, let's go. We got three people excited for small groups, right? And those are the three people in my small group. Anybody excited for your small group? Come on, let's go. Man, I, I hope and pray that you have decided to jump in a small group. We can't stress this enough. We really believe life change happens in the context of a small group and community and togetherness. And so if you're not in one, it's not too late. Some of you have already been starting your, your group. Some of us have started this past week. Some will start this week. Get in one. We were at a breakfast spot before the breakfast spot even opened. We were, we were sitting outside and we're like, who the heck scheduled this time? And that was me. Uh, so next time we know to get there when they open. Um, we're going to be studying to the book of First Peter, and, and not today, but through our small group. And man, I love this book because Peter is addressing the Gentiles, not, not of the Jewish faith, but those who are now stepping into the Christian faith, who aren't of Jewish tradition. And, and he's telling them that you need to stop compromising. And perhaps it's be, you're compromising because you forgot who you are. And you forgot where you used to be. Some of you know where you used to be, thank God, is no longer where you are today. Amen? And, and I'm so thankful that God has put me in this place and has not kept me in the place that I was at. And so Paul's like, you, you've got to go back to those moments where you were. Remember the, dark, remember the darkness you were, you were once in? He says this in 1 first, in first Peter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people. Come on, somebody say Chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare. Come on, somebody say, I will declare. Come on, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do I have anybody that is thankful this morning that you are no longer in the darkness you once were, but you have been set apart now to walk in the light that God has given us and put ahead of us. He took you from nothing and he made you into something. You were once rejected, and now you have been accepted. You are a child of God. But at the same time, you are also a foreigner to this world. God doesn't want you to fall too in love with this world, as many of us have done. Many of us have and continue to do. Um, Paul actually, or Peter goes on to say this in verse 11. He says, I urge you as foreigners to abstain. Somebody say abstain. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, which fits you right into 
everybody else and all that our world pushes. Do what you want, feel how you want, and here's what we're gonna give you to do so. It says, abstain from those sinful desires which wage war against your soul. This is the battle within. This is the battle that we are facing today that is in here. This is the, perhaps the spiritual warfare that's going on isn't so much just the demon activity that's taking place around us. Yes, it can be, but it's, it's this activity that's going on within us, within our soul, within our mind. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. You, you are chosen. You are set apart. You are not who you used to be. You are, you are different than what the world views as human, as a society. We, we are set apart, but there is a battle within us that we must win. And it's with us. It's with you. It's not so much around us, but it's within us. I love what D.L. Moody said. I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than with any man that I've ever met. The battle is within. I love what Paul says in Galatians. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. And what does he say? And they're both at what? Conflict with each other. I mean, you've been there with me, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I know what I, I want to do, or I know what I'm supposed to do, but my flesh wants to do what it wants to do, and I'm just, I'm just torn. I'm being pulled by my spirit, which is right, but then I'm being pulled by my flesh, which is wrong, but the flesh feels good. And it's this tug of war, it's this war within us that, is, that, that, that there's a battle of good and evil fighting that we must conquer. We must, we must win because it's contrary and they're fighting and it's not what God is wanting for us. And so here's where this idea of being salt and light, I, I, I really think that how we fight the war within us will determine the effectiveness of our witness. How we fight the war within us how we win or lose will determine whether or not we will be effective in the kingdom of God when it comes to our witness, when it comes to sharing our faith. Because we know those people. I don't go to church because it's full of a bunch of what? Hypocrites. I know you. You're one way on Sunday and then in the office you're another way. And she drinks just as much as I do. He cusses just as much as I do. What, what separates them? What makes them more spiritual than me? And have your choices, have the decisions you've made, have they aligned with God or have they aligned with the world? Because if they align with the world, you're not going to look much different. How, how can you be salt? And I think many of us have lived in such a way that we have turned people away from the goodness and the glory of God. And I'll be the first to say I've done that. My witness, my testimony at times has been poor. It probably hasn't stirred up some faith in people. It probably hasn't enticed people or compelled people to step into the church. It's probably enticed people to step further away from the church. If, if I'm going to be anything like you, then why would I ever want to step into this, this faith? How can we be a witness if we're not separating ourselves from what we do and what we say? We must be different. And so I wonder if, if we've lost or forgotten what makes us spiritually unique. I wonder if we've lost that. I wonder if we've lost our salt. Because what, what does Jesus say in, in verse 13? He says, if salt loses its saltiness, then how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out. Somebody say thrown out. To be thrown out and trampled by men. And so, so how are we losing our saltiness? How are we losing the salt that is within us? 
And I think for so many people, myself included, at times, it doesn't become, I don't have enough strength to do so. Because many of you know that it's not on our strength. Thank God it's not on our strength. But it's on the strength of God. So I don't rely on my own strength. So it's not about that. But what I do think it is, is I think it's a submission problem, not a strength problem. I think we have forgot the the, the all-powerful and the all-loving God that we submit to. I think we've forgotten who he is. That he's not just a God of wrath, but he is a God of love. And because he is a God of love, we don't obey out of obligation, but we obey out of devotion. I obey not because I have to. I obey because I get to. I obey because the love of God is so compelling and so life-changing that it compels me to obey. The proof of my love is obedience. The proof of my love is obedience. Obedience to what? To his commands. To, to what he's asking here. And so I think there's a, I think there's a submission problem. And so how, how, do we, how do we get back to that submission problem of saying, God, I submit to you and only to you. Well, one, remember who you are. Remember where you were. And remember who God is and how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. And I think many people have not done that because they have yet to experience the love of God. Maybe you have experienced it long ago and you just haven't been in it and it's been a while and you haven't experienced it. I'll say this, love is learned, right? Love is learned. I, I step into love because I've experienced something or I've realized something. And so I step into a loving relationship with God because he loved me first. Because God is the initiator of a loving relationship, not us. And so I can love because of what God has done and how God has loved. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us. So therefore, I realize God is the initiator of love. This is love, 1 John 4, 10 says. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us. And so if, if I want to better know love, I must better know Jesus. If I want to better experience a loving relationship with my family, with my friends, with my spouse, with my kids, I must understand Jesus. So many, so many single people are, are trying, to, trying to create a love within themselves and with their, their, their person they're looking for, and they've abandoned the love of God. And they fail to realize, and I, at times I fail to realize, that the more I love God, the more I, I fall in love with other people. It's not the opposite. It's not the more I fall in love with my wife or my kids that I fall more in love with God. I do sense a, a greater love when I do so, but it's when I love God because he has loved me, I now learn how to love other people. It just, it just makes sense this way and not the opposite way. So when we learn to love, we learn to obey, not out of obligation, but out of devotion. And now I can submit to God. And, and now I can learn to love those around me. And now I can start being effective. Now I can start being the salt that is preserving and enhancing the life that is around me. Now I can be the salt of the earth and the light on this hill that cannot be hidden. Now I can be effective, but only when I'm submitted. And so I would question your effectiveness by determining your submission. Because if you want to be an effective believer, you want to be a faithful witness you want to be a, a peacemaker, as my shirt might say, then you've got to learn the submission part. That, that is so important, church. And so many of us, it's just counter to what culture would say is you don't need to submit to anything except yourself and your agenda. And unfortunately, that is not going to get you anywhere. And so we've got to get, we've got to get back. Somebody say get back. We've got to get back. This is, this is, this is so different um, for, for what has always been said. 
You know, just, just picture this moment, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, uh, Luke would say the Sermon on the, on the Plain, so it's different. Some people might say it's, well, it was a different sermon. Jesus was really speaking to his disciples. Now, how many? We don't know. It could have been a lot. There certainly was a lot of people there. But this is, this is like different news. This is a different preaching that has ever been told before. So how could I possibly, if I were there, Jesus, how could I possibly live that type of, of life? Because this is, this is opposite of what the law has always said. This is counter to what even scripture in the past has always said. So, so how, how, can I, how can I get that? Because remember, so much of the law was external. And now Jesus begins to focus on the internal. The moral law has not changed, nor is the, the law of Moses contrary to the grace of God. It, it, Jesus isn't coming and, and arguing. He, he's just bringing our focus. He's redirecting our focus now on something different. Once external, now internal. There are still consequences for our external actions. And so Jesus is saying, but there are also, come on, somebody say also, there are also consequences for your internal actions. That is what people did not understand. I'm great because I haven't done anything that you know of. Jesus is like, I know, I know, they don't, but I know, and there are consequences for that. This is, write this down, this is less about the action and this is more about the attitude. Less about the action and more about the attitude. Jesus begins to talk about the fulfillment of the law if you have your Bibles, you can actually see some of this marked out. I'm reading from the NIV. He looks at the fulfillment of the law. Remember, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And uh, here we have people being reminded that it doesn't matter how much righteousness they could do, they could not inherit the kingdom of God. So it really wasn't about, well, this is a long list of things that I'm never going to amount to. And uh, Jesus is like, yep, that's, that's, that's true. So it's never about how much you can do. It's really about who will you submit to. And so he, he talks about this fulfillment of the law. And, um, and, and he's, he's reminding them um, that I've come not to abolish it, but I've come to fulfill it. And in fact, you want to talk about the law. He goes on to talk about six different commandments in the Old Testament law. And he says, here's, here's how you've been wrong. And here's, let me tell you how it is. He talks about murder, talks about divorce, Adultery, lying, loving your enemies, eye for an eye. He talks about these things. He's like, I'm going to show you how different this is going to be for you. And so what I want to do for the remainder of this time is, 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 is see how this connection between salt and light um, has an impact on these commandments that God is preaching. You know, it's obviously... in obvious to be salt and light in our community, in our home, and even in our church. But what about the things that are not seen? What about the sin? What about these commandments that Jesus is referencing here? He lists six, and we're going to go through them all, not today, uh, and I could only get to one. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to talk about two, maybe three, maybe I can do four, but or else we'd be here for a long time. So I'm just going to talk about one, if that's all right. I'm going to talk about murder. And I want to preface this by saying, one, I don't know all there is to know about murder. Um, the only thing I have murdered was when I was a little kid, we'd take a magnifying glass in the sun and we'd hit these ants and we'd kill them. And it was like the coolest thing for me. And then I was like, wow. You know, part of me was like, this is so cool. And part of me was destroying, you know, God's, uh, I mean, we, we step on them probably all the time, but uh, I, was in, I was intentional. My motivation was destruction, you know. And so, um, you know, obviously there is judgment 
that God has for those. Um, but I also want to say that I want to preface this by saying, as we break these down this week and the following weeks, we're going to learn that perhaps the Sermon on the Mount is more difficult to obey than the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments were very external. The Sermon on the Mount is very internal. This is no longer about the matters of the external things. God is saying, Jesus is saying, this is about the matters of the heart. You've got to check your heart. So let's talk about murder. Look at verse 21 in, verse, in chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, I love when Jesus says but. When Jesus says but, it grabs all of our attentions. Somebody say but. But I tell you that anybody who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. This is, uh, this is identifying and calling out the error that the Pharisees and the scribes and their interpretation of this law of murder. The problem was that they restricted it. You shall not murder. That's it. That was all that was said. You shall not murder or you will be faced for subject to judgment. I got that. You shall not murder. But it left room and a lot of gray area for everything else short of murder. And so this is, this is true. You shall not murder. You will be subject to judgment. But Jesus says, but I tell you. And, and I could just imagine, like, you, you've heard all of this. Now look to me. Look to the words that are going to be written now in the New Testament. Look to me. This might be challenging for you to hear, but listen to me. But I tell you, he wasn't arguing with Moses or the law of Moses. He, he wasn't contradicting it. He wasn't a, a, abandoning it. The, the commandments in the Old Testament were still true. He wasn't fighting with them. He wasn't disagreeing with them. But he was bringing to attention, to light, the failed understanding and the failed interpretation of the law. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will too be subject to judgment. Angry. Somebody say angry. Now, I've, I've titled this message as well, Be Salt, Not Salty. The, the informal definition of salty in the dictionary is angry. Maybe you've heard it said, stop being so salty. Or somebody you know is always salty toward you. They're just angry at you. And so how can in a world where we are to be salt, without losing our saltiness in, in, in that context, to not be salty, which would be angry. So what I want to do is apply this idea of being salt and light with the foundation that we are salt of this earth, we are the light of this world, into the context of murder, okay? But I haven't murdered anybody, so, so I'm good. In fact, my external performance, my actions, my outward actions is a solid 10 out of 10. I, I am good. And Jesus says, yeah, you are, but inside your heart, you are not good. Inside your heart, you got a lot of issues. You got a lot, a lot of you, you know some people like that. They're very surface out there. They're great. Life looks good. Instagram looks good. But you know the crap. Can I say crap? I'm so sorry. You know the stuff going on inside. And you're just like, I wish I could just call it out. But it's not my place. You know, you know you've been there? I just, oh, I wish I could just, they're talking about how good they are. And I, I know deep down inside there is a lot of issues. There is a lot of, there is a lot of brokenness and sin. Come on, Jesus. I'm just... And it's not, it's not our place, all right? It's not our place to call that out. But we, we know people like that. My, my, my actions are great. I drive the speed limit. You know, I slow down at yellow. I do what I'm supposed to do. 
I tip 20%, no less and no more. I, my outward actions, solid 10 out of 10. But it wasn't really about the actions. What, what Jesus is bringing to attention is the motivation, the real reason behind all that we do. And he, like I said, he talks about six things. We're only gonna get to murder. There, there's, there's so much of this that God is saying the matters of the heart are so much more important. Yeah, you haven't committed murder, but, but you've been angry. And to be angry at your brother or sister, to hate your brother or sister, is murder. I love what uh, a pastor by the name of Campbell Morgan said. He said, the supervision of the kingdom of God does not begin by arresting a criminal with blood red hands. It arrests the man who the murder spirit is just born. Again, the battle is not around us. The battle is within us. Here, here's where we're fighting this. This is the, the spiritual warfare now that begins to take place. If you murder, you're subject to judgment. If you're angry, you're subject to judgment at somebody. Jesus isn't saying that anger is leading to murder. He's saying your anger is murder. The interpretation they failed to discover was the motivation behind the murder, the motivation behind the hate, the motivation behind the anger. Because if your anger is causing you to hurl insults or malicious language or verbiage to people, then you are, he's saying, subject to judgment and in danger of not entering the kingdom of heaven. This is what he says. He goes on to say this in verse 22. He says, again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which would be, an insult is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anybody who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, does this mean that we can't get a little bit angry? Does this mean that sometimes we have a right to be angry? Does this mean I have a right to hate? No. Maybe. To me, it seems as if, man, God, there's got to be some. My, my siblings, right? My uh, my coworker took my, my parking spot at my job. But God, you just don't understand, right? You could go anywhere you're, you're omnipresent. I'm not. I got to walk. I got legs and I got bad knees. And you made me park this far. God, I have every right to be angry. Every, every law that's passed, I got every right to be angry. The fact that we don't know what's going on and we don't know what to believe, we don't know what's true, I have every right to be angry. It was a few months ago. I was preaching on a Sunday. I came home. I took my son. We stopped at Pollo Tropical. I love Pollo Tropical. I love it. Get that choppy chop bowl. And I asked for the garlic cilantro sauce. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Let's go. Man, that is good. I was like, the, you know, there's a lot of things that I, that I consider the manna of heaven, but that, that, that garlic cilantro sauce, I don't know what it's made of, but it's been bathed in holy water mixed with Chick-fil-A sauce, I would assume. Um, they don't give you just one. I, I asked for just one. They give me like a bag of four. And I'm like, I have... What else am I going to do? Might as well dump it into my bowl, you know? So I got garlic cilantro sauce with a little bit of rice and chicken. And other. I get home, and you know, my son's got his thing, and I open it up, and there is what I absolutely despise and hate, and that is black beans. Don't judge me. All right? Don't judge me. Seriously. I love Latin food or Caribbean food. I'm all about it. The chicken and the rice. Give me extra plantains. Give me extra rice. But the black beans, please leave those for somebody else who, uh, just, I don't know if it's a texture or my parents, like, abused me and made me eat all the black beans. I don't know if we ate. Ew. My mom's from Arkansas. What's black beans, right? We don't know what that is. I didn't grow up eating black beans. And I just, I was so mad. And, and I want to confess to you, because my wife now is, is aware of, I, I just got, I got upset. I got angry. I don't know. I was tired. I was just preparing for a horrible season with the dolphins. I don't know what it was. I just, I just, I got home, and I, I, I tried to 
funnel out the, the, the black beans, but it just was mushed and it was, and I, I got aggressive and I, and I um, kind of, sort of, in, in a way like, you know, <laughs> I just, I slammed the table. And that's not me. Sometimes it's me and clearly it's me then. I, I was just, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I was so hungry. I just drove, you know, my wife and I, we live pretty far still. So I'm driving far and I'm getting home and now I've got food that I, I was like, I got to go back. I was so, Mm. You know, I wanted to just let, let them have it. Now, it wasn't their fault, you know, the people that, it was just their fault. And, and I just, they couldn't explain it. But I got my bowl, I got home, and I walked in. This is, this is how it comes back to get you, right? You think, my wife was, she, she didn't hear me scream or yell. I think she was somewhere else in the house. I just yelled. And I walk into my son, who's four years old, and he's like, yeah. And daddy was like, ah, ah. And I was like, shh, what are you doing? I was saying anything. He's like, yeah, daddy was like, ah, and I'm like, ugh, caught me. So kids do, man, they call you out. So I'm learning that. Now that they can speak, which is, I was like, this is great. I can talk to you. Now he can rat on me. Uh, you know, was I wrong about the beans? No, no, I was not wrong about the beans. About getting upset and acting out? Of course. Of course I was wrong. And now as a dad, I'm seeing that all my actions uh, will affect my kids. And they will watch me. And, uh, and you, you know, you watch your parents. Everything, a lot of what you do is, I watch my parents. I, and, and I could say this, I watch my mom and dad. I watch my dad. Anytime maybe there was anger stirring up, um, he, he, would, he would leave the house and he would pray. You know, I think my mom wanted to fight about it. She's like, let's deal with this now. Let's go. Let's fight about it. And my wife's probably more so that way. Let's go. And I'm like, I need to, <laughs> I am wrong. And I need to go and pray. And then I come back and repent. So this is what I watched. This is what I saw. Clearly, I uh, wasn't putting anything that I watched into practice because I was just like, I did leave the house, but I went to go get the bowl that they were supposed to give me, you know. Uh, we're allowed to get, up, get upset. We're allowed to be angry at times, um, but it's wrong to hate. And hate leads down a terrible path. But even Jesus, you know, with the money changers in the temple, he's flipping tables. But I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Can I get angry? Yes. He doesn't say in your anger or that anger is sin. He says in your anger, which you will have, and some of it is okay, he says do not sin. He even goes on to say do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't. Before you lash out, before you want to say something, before you want to throw out an explicit to somebody, you need to really seek and look at and evaluate what's going on in your heart. You can be angry, just don't let it be hate. Don't let it fuel you for revenge. Do not go to sleep with anger. Do not go to sleep with hate. Do not give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. What kind of witness would that be to those around you? What kind of witness is that to your kids? What kind of witness is that to your spouse? Do not let the devil have a foothold in your life. We are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We are to be set apart and to abstain from these things. And it's in our abstaining and in our pursuit of doing good and doing right that we begin to be a witness. And our witness begins to unravel on those around us and the culture around us. And we begin not to be shaped by it, but we begin to shape it. By abstaining from things like this. If you want to be salt and light, then you have to abstain from anger, from hate, and from murder. And so how can we do this? 
I want to ask one question and give you four things and then we'll be done. How can we be salt without being salty? How can we be a witness without being angry? Again, the anger portion is, is okay, but it's, it's uh, what we do when we become angry. It's the hate towards our brother and our sister. It's the hate towards something. It's the hate towards someone that we don't like that God is saying, that cannot happen. That cannot um, be in your life. You have got to rid yourself of that. It's not helpful to you. So how can we be salt without having the, the saltiness about us, the anger about us? How can we be a witness without being angry? I'm gonna give you four things. Number one, these are pretty practical. Determine, and I want you to write these down if you can. Determine if it's righteous or unrighteous. I think I turned my pack off in my pocket, sorry. Uh, determine if it's righteous or unrighteous anger. God, is the anger that I am experiencing from you in this moment? And um, it's good to know, you know, we learn a lot from our past. We learn a lot from our, our, uh, what we have done. Unfortunately, many of us don't. Um, even as a nation, we have failed to learn from our past at times. But um, if we could go back and we ask two things like, what, what caused it and how was my response? You know, what, what caused that anger and how did I respond in that anger? You might be able to identify then and there if it was righteous anger. And if it was unrighteous anger, God, and, and that's, that's, that's praying and that's asking, saying, God, is this righteous or is this unrighteous? Jesus was, was flipping tables because of the extortionists in the temple, abusing the poor, taking advantage of the poor. He, he was furious. It was necessary for him to do what he did because he was bringing correction. He was bringing correction to that which needed to be Corrected. We have every right at times to fight for injustice, to fight for those who are mistreated, to fight when the church is persecuted. We have every right to. But when it comes to, to accusations on us, to insults on us, to our pride, how are you responding? How are you, are you acting out in such a way that causes you to take your hand and slam it on the table? when they give you black beans in your choppy chop bowl? Is, is that how you respond? Jesus got angry because it was necessary. And, and I wanna say this, that your righteous anger will seek to bring restoration and your unrighteous anger will seek to bring destruction. Is my, is my anger, is the hate that I'm, I'm experiencing, is it fueling me to build up or is it fueling me to tear down? Because that might determine whether or not it's righteous or it's unrighteous. Is my, is my righteous anger wanting to glorify God, wanting to build up the church, wanting to help those who are compromising, wanting to fight for the voiceless, is that anger, is that, is that of God? Probably, yes. But, but if the anger that says, I just want to destroy, I want to build down, I want to get rid of all the persecution, I want to get rid of all the opposition, I want to get rid of it. Jesus said, you're a child of God, you're going to be in, you're going to have enemies. You're going to have enemies in this world that don't like you, that don't want anything to do with you, that are going to limit you, that are going to cause you to question whether or not you really believe. And it's then and there that separates us from those who love God and are submitted to God with those who aren't. You have to ask yourself, is this righteous or is this unrighteous? Secondly, see it from God's perspective. See it from God's perspective. God, I am, I am so frustrated right now. But remember in Genesis uh, Joseph. Joseph's an incredible man of God who was thrown out by his, by his brothers, sold him into slavery. So if you think you had it bad growing up, his siblings threw him into slavery and imprisoned him. 
And uh, he was mistreated, he was abused, he was abused, and then he was eventually elevated to a position of authority. And years go by, and now his brothers are in need. His brothers um, thought that their brother Joseph was dead. They have an encounter with this man, Joseph, who's, who's a higher up now, and by the snap of his fingers can do anything to his brothers for revenge for what they did. And so his brothers come full of repentance. They say, we, we, we are sorry. And Joseph responds, I love this, and this is such the heart of God. Genesis 50, 19, Joseph said to them, he says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, do, do I act for God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good and accomplished what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is on the cross. His accusers, his abusers, those who've, who, who have crucified him, who have fought to imprison him, what does he say on that cross? He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I mean, just, just what would it take for us to see things from God's perspective? I, I know we're angry, we're upset, and a lot of things don't seem like they're going our way, church. And I could get aggressive, and I could lash out, and I could, I could just post everything. And, and what does that do? That just stirs up the pot. You know you're going to get some hate. You know that. I just, I just, but could we see it from God's perspective that says, you know what, everything that I have to do, everything that I respond to is going to be for the good, knowing that what's been done to me might be good for me. Yes, I may have, you know, that girl broke up with me, or yes, I lost that job, or yes, my parking spot was taken, or they threw black beans in my bowl, or I don't know what's going on, you know, like what's happening? Yes, there's a lot of anger, but is it leading you to destruction, or is it leading you to restoration? Because perhaps you are in a, walking in a purpose, going through doors that you would have never gone through if it weren't for what God has put you through. And so now I change my perspective. I don't look at it and I say, I hate it. I look at it and I say, I probably needed that. Because I'm now seeing what has been done to me, what has been accused at me, I'm seeing it as for the good. And God is doing something that I cannot see. Because there is a God in me that is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? And so, see from God's perspective, I wonder if what I'm angry at, what I'm frustrated at, what would God do? What would he respond to? Ask him to give you perspective. The third one is repent. Repent. Not only to God where you will receive forgiveness, but to people where you will receive healing. Repent. Somebody say repent. You know, it goes on to say this in, uh, in, in chapter 5 of Matthew still, if I look at verse 23. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, somebody say first. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Listen, there is anger that can be good and righteous, but there is also a sinful anger that a lot of us experience that is wrong and needs to be repented of because it's sin. And who knows where it's gonna lead? Who knows if unconfessed what it's gonna do? I love what Warren Wearsby says, who's somebody I look to a lot. He says, we put ourselves into a terrible prison when we refuse to be reconciled. It has well been said that the person who refuses to forgive his brother destroys the very bridge over which he himself must walk. And can I just read that last, that last sentence again? It has well been said that the person who refuses to forgive his brother destroys the very bridge over which he himself must walk. 
And I, I wonder how much hurt and pain we have intentionally or unintentionally caused, how much hate we have stirred up, and we don't even know it. Some of us know it very well, and we've been unrepented of it. If we really believe what 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, that love is not easily angered, and it keeps no record. Somebody say no. No record of wrongs. Wow. I have a long list of record of wrongs about other people that I could tell you and show you. But love keeps zero record of wrongs. Because if I had a record of wrongs, that would seek to destroy. That would seek to blackmail. Ooh, just wait. I, I know who they are and what they've done. And one day, I'm just going to reveal it. That is not the heart of God. That seeks to destroy. That does not seek to restore. And church, we got to be very careful to not let the enemy have a foothold on you. It'll eat away at your soul. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy a church. We've seen it. We've heard about it. Maybe you've been in a church where there was anger, there was hate. And it didn't do any good. But when confessed, it did mighty things. Lastly, I'll finish with this. Lastly, we have to determine if it's righteous or unrighteous. We need to see it from God's perspective. God is, is, is the hate that I have, is the anger that I have from you. We have to repent of it, repent of our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. Confess them with each other where you will receive healing. And then we have to lastly overcome it with love. This is our response. Here's the action part. Come on. Here's where we can, here's where we can put on the gloves and get ready for war. But the armor that we have or, or the weapons that we have might look a little different, all right? Some of the things we say might look a little different. Some of the explicits that we're used to saying we might not say anymore. But, but we're ready to attack. We're on the offense now. We're going to be on the offense now. Overcome evil with love. Romans 10.20 says, 10.21 says, do not be overcome by it, but overcome it with good. We're not to be led by our emotions. We're supposed to lead our emotions. By what? By the Spirit of God. And as, as people of God, being led by God, understanding that we are not God, and that, that people and things in the world tampers with our emotions, we are not to act out like God maybe would act out, like he is responsible for vengeance. He is responsible for judgment. Thank God you are not God, because that, that'd be a horrible mess if you were. God is God. We let him be God. And it would be real easy to return evil with evil and obviously good with good. But this is counter to what the world would say, to our culture would say, and it is to respond to evil with good. I know it's tough at times not to want to slam the horn, not to want to throw out a cuss word, not to want to get upset, to hit a table. But church, let the Lord defend you. Let the Lord defend you. Let the Lord defend you. The God of the universe, the creator of the world, let him be the judge, not you. Don't let fuel, um, don't let the fire get so big that it destroys you and it destroys everybody around you. Let God let the Lord defend you. Our faith is not a made-up religion. Because if it was, this would not be something that is preached. This is not in our human nature. This is, not, this is so contrary to what our human nature would say, especially when evil is done to us. You respond with evil. It's our instinct. But it's so opposite of what God has for us. It's so counter to what culture would say. There's a, I'll finish with this story. There's a, there was a Catholic priest in the, 19, uh, or in the 1890s in Poland, 
His name was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher the name, but it was something like Poppy Lutzko. And uh, this had, had a priest had a big following and, you know, had a twofold message of defend the truth and overcome evil with good. A lot of communists in this time. And so he was like, we're going to defend the truth of God and we're going to overcome evil with good. And that's going to be our message. And everybody loved it. I mean, the, the church doors, you couldn't even, you couldn't even close them because there were so many people. But with, the, uh, with the, the support, there was also the persecution, the death threats, the secret police were following him everywhere. And eventually one day he went missing. 10 days later, his church decided to still gather. 50,000 people at a building listening to a pre-recorded message of this man. This is how much they, they followed and respected his message of defend, of defend the truth, overcome evil with good. 50,000 people. They later heard that his body was uh, found and it was, not only was he dead, but he was tortured. This was the time for the church to revenge. The police were set up for a war. They were ready for the church to attack. This is crazy to even think, but they, they were ready. And on the day of... Uh, his funeral, the church gathered, thousands of them, ready to fight, ready to seek justice, and the police were ready for it. They, they found the murderers, and they, they were convicted, but the police were just ready for a war. And all these people walk into that police department with a banner that read, we forgive you. We forgive you. We forgive you? We just took out our leader. What do you mean we forgive you? I'm sure there were some who were ready to to fight, who had swords like, like Peter. Come on, Jesus, I'm not taking you and slices off some dude's ear. I'm sure there were some people who were, who were eager, but the majority said, we forgive you. There's no doubt we're going to face some trying times, believer. We're going to face some hardship. We're going to face some uncertain laws and guidelines and things that I, we feel the church is going to be persecuted and our faith is going to be tested question is how are you going to respond you can get angry we have every right to get angry at the persecution of the church we have every right to fight for it but how does your fighting look like and is your anger leading to hate which is subject to the same judgment that murder the physical act of murder is you got to be careful you got to be ready in season and out of season to be a salt in a world full of salty people full of a salty, angry agenda. We have to be the salt and the light of the world set on a hill that can be seen, not for our sake, but for God's sake. We gotta be a witness. Church, we have got to be a witness in everything we do, every day of our lives, everywhere we go. Would you stand to your feet all across this room? I just wonder if there's anybody in this room who, who you, know, you know, you are, tend to be more of an aggressive, angry person. It's just kind of your nature. You, you were raised up. This is, how you were, this is how you were then. This is how you are now. And you're saying, God, I've been in bondage for so long. And, and, and I don't want this. And, and I can't keep living like this. My spouse is going to leave me. My kids are going to leave me. In fact, they've already left me. I can't get a job. I don't have any friends. Because I'm just, I'm an aggressive and I'm an angry person. And I've got a lot of hate in my life. To be honest, Jacob, I have a lot of justification for that hate. And I can show you. I can show you how I've been abused. I can show you how I've been mistreated my whole life. I've been cast out. I've been an outcast. I've been mistreated. And Jesus would say, so was I. So was I. But here's how I responded. I said, Father, on that cross in his dying breath, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know who they are and what they're doing. Forgive them. I just wonder if we would have an attitude of forgiveness 
if we would be the one who, before we came to church next Sunday, before we even sang these next worship songs, we prayed a prayer of repentance to say, God, before I can even come to the altar, I've got to seek somebody. They're in this room, or they're a phone call away, or they're a text message away. I've got to seek somebody, and I've got to apologize, because I have so much hate. I've had so much hate stirring up inside my spirit. The devil has had a foothold in my life, and I no longer want it in my life. I no longer need this. This isn't good for me. God does not want this for you. I need to get it out. I need to get it out. And so, Father, all across this room, Jesus, we know that you are God and you are good. And you can do anything with a snap of your fingers, with the words out of your mouth, with the blink of your eyes. And so, God, I just wonder if there's anybody in this room, anybody watching online that, has, that, that needs this stronghold removed from their life. The lack of joy, the lack of peace, the lack of love is evident. Because anger and malicious language and actions have been dictating all that we do because of how we've been raised up. But God, it's not about how we've been raised up. It's about who we are in you, a child of God. We are a son and daughter of the kingdom. So Father, remind us of that. Free us of these shackles. Free us of these shackles. Come on, if that's you, I would just ask that. God, free me of these shackles. Come on, free me of these shackles. Just tell him, I don't want this anymore. Come on, tell him, I don't want this anger anymore. This is not of you. This does not need to be in me. Help me have a righteous anger, but God, rid me of all the unrighteous anger. God, rid me of all the unrighteous anger in my life. I don't want to hate anymore. I don't want to hate anymore. Come on, if that's you, just receive that. Would you step into it? Say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, I've not been a witness when it comes to my expression of frustration or anger. I'm easily triggered, I'm easily angered, and I respond in a way that is not beneficial to my soul and to my witness. And so God, forgive me, forgive me. And I wonder if there's anybody in this room or watching it online and the sound of my voice that you're saying, I, I'm very far from God and I know I need to step into a relationship with God. We always say this, it's only one step back to him. Yeah, we're all sinners, we've all made mistakes. God has created us. He designed us to be holy and pure, but sin entered this world through our free will and our decision-making. And God is saying, I'm gonna send my son, die on a cross to save you, and he did. And he's given you a chance to receive and step into this free gift of eternal life. And if that's you, and you're saying, Jacob, that's me, I, I've been far from God, I need to step into this, or I need to step back into this. This, is, this needs to happen now. I feel the tug in my heart. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. I can't run from it. No longer I can't run from it. You do not know the days of your life. You do not know when your last day will be. So do not hold this off and do not wait. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, would you pray this prayer? Say, Father, come into my life. Change me. Give me a new spirit. Give me new direction. Help me submit to you. You are good. You are loving. You are my Father. You are my savior, and I am your child. In Jesus' name, everybody said in one loud voice, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for anybody who has made a decision today? I want to... Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.